it's awesome to have Adam Harrell and Michael Lamb of Chasing Victory here on The Antidote. Guys, thanks for coming. Thanks for having us. Before we get into your new music, I want to go back to the band's past. I mean, I first heard Chasing Victory with your 05 release, I Call This Abandonment. The opening track, Oceans Away, was what really grabbed me. I mean, that's an insanely catchy song. I know the band had an EP prior to I Call This Abandonment, but this was the album where Chasing Victory needed to make an impact. Did that make it intimidating to record? I don't think it was intimidating as much as it was just uh, a kind of a new segment for our band. We uh, we released I Call This Abandonment on Mono vs. Stereo, and before we did that record with them, uh, we did the EP. But even before that, we went through a pretty long process of demoing uh, material. And I think they were just trying to see if we could develop ourselves as an artist and provide whatever support they could to help us figure out what we wanted to do, how we wanted to sound. So we had we had been through quite a bit of recording and writing and and uh, we started to feel a little more comfortable uh, once we got to abandonment. I think it's safe for me to say that for everybody. I mean, I don't think we, you know, by any means we developed our sound or anything like that with abandonment, but we were certainly starting to uh, to get to that place. It was a fun process, more or less. Yeah, and one thing I would add, too, is at the same time, and the pressure was there, I guess you could say, but at the same time, when we recorded Abandonment, I was 17. Uh, Adam was 18. Our other guitar player was 17. I mean, we had just gotten out of high school. So the pressure was there, but at the same time, we we were kind of naive to what was going on. We were just more or less hanging out, trying to write music that we loved and, you know, and bring, uh, you know, high intensity to our music. But it was abandonment that got that attention. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that Chasing Victory exploded into the music scene with that release. Was that what you were expecting? I definitely didn't. I mean, uh, you know, I'm I'm probably our biggest critic. <laughs> Just, you know... <laughs> As a vocalist, you look back at things you said or wrote lyrically, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. And in this case, uh, you know, 15 years ago, gosh, we're getting old. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you kind of cringe at some of the things. But, you know, that's part of growing and, and learning. And, and, you know, you try to be honest in your lyrical content. But 15 years from then, you'll be in a different place. So, you know, I don't think that we expected anything to come of it. Um, we certainly had very strong support with our record label they believed in us a lot probably more than we believed in ourselves and uh so they kind of helped provide some of that support and um motivation to get us going in the right direction plus we had an amazing producer um nathan danzler recorded and produced that record he ended up doing fiends as well just because we enjoyed how much he helped us grow as a band um Bands that don't get in the studio with a good producer, I I feel, are are really missing out. Monos vs. Stereo, you must have been the biggest band on that label, or the most significant, at least. Well, you know, I don't know. They had the showdown, and they had uh, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster for a time. They had the Evanance on, and um, eventually, I think, Mono vs. Stereo was bought by the singer of Reliant K, and this was after we had gotten off Monoverse Stereo, but 
they were, you know, a smaller subsidiary of GoTo Records. And um, so they were, you know, to some extent they were limited at what they could do, but I will say that they they absolutely put everything they had behind us and, and the other bands that were there. And uh, Brad Moist, who was our A&R, and he also ran Mono vs. Stereo, um, one of the coolest guys on the planet. And he saw something in us that I don't think any of us saw at that time, and he just saw potential. And he knew, you know, where to put us and, and all those kind of things to uh, to help us evolve into whatever, you know, Chasing Victory ended up becoming. So they were definitely a smaller label that was supported by a bigger label, but definitely no complaints from us on, on that behalf. I and mean, they just were an awesome company to, to work with. It's nice to actually hear from an artist who said that their label did support them, because so often I hear from bands and they tell me the opposite story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, at least with me, you know, that was the dream was to sign to a record label. Even now, I tell people I signed to a record label and they think, you know, I must have made millions of dollars as a musician. Um, so I think there's probably much bigger expectations that come along with signing with a label. Uh, but, you know, during that time, the dynamics of what a label does for a band today are different than they were then. But even then, there's only so much a label can do for you. You have to work with them, and you have to work with your booking agent, and you have to work with your management. It's a team effort to really make a band successful, and, and you have to write marketable music. I mean, at the end of the day, if people don't want to hear it, then, you know, you're not going to be successful. So for us, I feel like our record label, they did all that they could. Uh, for us, and we were we were very happy with our relationship. We should really talk about the nature of Chasing Victory itself. When we first got in touch about having this interview, Adam, you made a point of saying that Christian band is something we got labeled early on because faith is a topic we covered lyrically and because we were signed to a division of a Christian record label. Did the tag Christian band cause you trouble? You know, I don't know about trouble. Um, and early on, we certainly would have called ourselves a Christian band. You know, we, we all met in a small town, um, and our, we were all in the same youth group together at a, the same church. And so we had a lot of mentors that kind of helped guide us in that direction. And certainly at some point in the beginning, we, we decided we wanted to be a Christian band. I don't think we really knew what that meant, but we were all Christians we were all in a youth group together, and, and that was just the label that we gave ourselves. Then, you know, we signed to Mono versus Stereo, and they were a subsidiary of a Christian label. So that kind of, you know, helped fuel the moniker of, of Christian band. But I think as we got, you know, into the music industry, we started to see that being a Christian band, playing our style of music, first of all, there was only so far that we could go with that. Um, and the other thing is, it's pretty interesting when the secular world of music and the Christian world of music meet. And what I mean by that is we would play bars and dives mostly. So a lot of our fans were maybe not Christian or were coming to see a secular band that maybe they didn't have any idea were a Christian band or Christians in a band. But then we would play a church and those same people would come to a church and uh, some of those shows get kind of rowdy, you know, in, in that hardcore genre. And, you know, there were many occasions that shows got stopped or we got kicked out. or <laughs> So, you know, those two worlds meeting together certainly caused uh, some friction at times. But ultimately, we never disliked the label, I guess. 
of being a Christian band, it just there's a lot of assumptions that come along with being a Christian and and what that means and and if you don't live up to those preconceived notions, then you can uh, expect a lot of criticism, uh, which we got from time to time. So, you know, that's the only reason I I kind of gave you that disclaimer is I didn't want anybody to think that. Uh, we're some kind of ministry uh, or gospel band or anything like that. <laughs> that, that we've been mistaken for that before and uh, ended up getting kicked out of places when they found that we weren't quite that. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, you spoke about playing bars. I guess at 17 and 18, you weren't playing too many of those. You wouldn't even be allowed in. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised. As long as you're not drinking, they'd slap a underage bracelet on your wrist and let you on in because I don't think any of us were really 21 for very long before we disbanded in 2007. So I turned 21 in 2006. And so pretty much the entire stint of our, you know, career as Chasing Victory, you know, traveling full time, we did so as, you know, technically minors <laughs> as far as drinking age goes. So most bars are not to let you play as long as you, you know, have an underage uh, bracelet on your wrist. And some don't even check that, so... You spoke about Chasing Victory basically disappearing after 07. What was it that brought that about? Well, it was a, it was a few things. Um, by the time we stopped playing, you know, some of the member change happened. Uh, you know, we kept a core group together, myself and Adam and uh, Jeremy Lowry, who's our drummer. Um, and the other parts all kind of changed and morphed, but when we were so young, Jason, he decided he wanted to go to college. He had never been. So when we got those other members, being from such a small town in, in South Georgia, and there's really not any major cities around us, uh, the other members of the band actually came from bands that we had played with, that we had become good friends with. Um, so when we broke up, we all kind of went our different directions. You know, Jason was in college in Tallahassee, and, and uh, Chris, our other guitar player, when when we had broken up, Chris lived in Auburn at the time, and, and our bass player lived in Talladega, Alabama. So it wasn't planned this way, but when, when we kind of separated, we all went, you know, three hours away from each other. Um, and when you play 300 shows a year like we were doing, and seeing each other every day and, you know, living in a van together. Not that we got sick of each other, but, you know, you kind of get your feel. I mean, we, we never really had any big arguments, big fights. We still get along today. We talk virtually every day to each other, and these are some of my best friends in the entire world. But once we broke up, you know, we kind of all went our separate directions. People started going to college. Uh, Adam was married, you know, it just kind of happened that way. The original reason we were on tour with Showbread and Showdown when we decided to just kind of take some time off. And um, ultimately, you know, it came down to the bottom line. We were running out of money very quickly. So we had just come off some big tours. But once you start getting some cash flow in, you got to start paying your bills. And so we went back and started paying bills and we got caught up on our bills and had no money to speak of. So at that point, we decided we needed to come home, maybe get some jobs for a little while until we could, you know, get on some tours that were going to generate a good bit of money. And um, once we got home, I think, you know, like Michael said, we all started to kind of get involved in other things. And 
I got offered a job that turned into the career that I work today. And, you know, and then we just started families. So it's kind of hard to put the pieces back together. It was definitely difficult to try to put a tour together and us leave jobs that were now, you know, making great money. And, and uh, you know, my wife certainly wasn't happy if I were to start talking about going on tour again. Uh, it really just kind of happened naturally. Um, there was no hard feelings with the guys or labels or anything like that. I mean, like Michael said, we all still keep in touch uh, almost every single day. It was just one of those things that it, it just didn't make sense anymore for us to continue to tour at the level we were doing it at, um, you know, without some kind of big break. Uh, I think every band kind of looks for that big break that plunges them from poverty to, you know, at least having some kind of moderate income. And uh, most bands starting out, they don't, a lot of people don't realize, but they live basically like homeless people. I mean, they, you make very little money. And I would imagine today, with so many bands doing it, there's even less money to be made than there was when we were doing it. I don't talk to anybody that's making money. <laughs> <laughs> it's that real world situation where responsibilities, you know, crush the music dream. Yeah, and I'll say this much. I, I remember a conversation our A&R had with us when they were discussing signing us. He told us, he said, you know, there's a fraction of a chance that you'll actually make a career out of this. So if you go into it knowing that, you can have fun. But if you go into it thinking every day, why are we not making it, then you're not going to enjoy the process and it'll last just a couple of months. And so I think we all went to, you know, we had a, a certain level of naivety thinking maybe this will turn out into some big career. Uh, but I think in the back of our minds, we knew that there was uh, a time limit on it. You know, it was it was going to run its course at some point. It lasted a lot longer than I expected. So, you know, I, I look at it as a, an awesome opportunity. I have to tell you guys that Chasing Victory is probably the least dependable band around. <laughs> And I, I do mean that in a good way. Each release has brought in a different sound, especially when you guys moved from I Call This Abandonment to Fiends. You brought in more melody, more guitar, and more clean vocals. Were you not afraid of alienating your fan base? I don't think so. I think we were more interested in writing good songs that we enjoyed, that we wanted to play every night, and that we, what we felt like were strong musically and lyrically. Um, I think really, it kind of just evolved into that naturally. I don't really think we were really shooting for anything specific. I think what we wrote just kind of came out and we liked it. And uh, we felt like it was a good product that we enjoyed playing. You know, we went through about five different members. Um, over the course of Chasing Victory between bass and one of the guitar spots. And uh, we recorded Abandonment uh, with seven people. We had a bass player and a guitar player that were leaving the band after we wrote Abandonment, and we had a new guitar player and bass player coming in at the same time. So we went into the studio with seven people. And then when we went to write Fiends, um, it was the five people that, you know, pretty much carried the touring era of Chasing Victory through, um, which was me, Michael, Jeremy, and then Chris Cargill and Chris Crutchfield. So the dynamic of the band kind of changed a little bit, writing Fiends. Plus, we were getting better at our instruments. And like Michael said, we were so young when we wrote Fiends. 
uh, you know, there was very little we could do on guitar. I mean, I think we had one effects pedal uh, for on scenes, and it was a delay pedal, and we all shared it. Um, you know, and, and we knew how to do basic power chords and, you know, a couple dissonant chords that we liked to play. But for the most part, we were pretty limited as musicians. And, and as we grew, our styles changed, our, our tastes changed, and even our members changed. Uh, you know, the sound just kind of naturally evolved. And like I said, I don't think we ever had anything we were shooting for. We just had certain things, chord changes and things that we felt like we did well. So every time we'd go to write something new, we'd say, let's do those things again in this song, or at least try to take those elements, you know, that we are good at and put them together in this next song and leave out some of these things that we don't do so well. Um, you know, and like you mentioned, the screaming and, and, you know, definitely coming down to more clean vocals. Um, I think that was just something that kind of came with age. Like I mentioned, we went to the studio with Nathan Danzler and, um, I, I didn't know how to sing when we went into abandonment, which is why I screamed a lot. And Danzler really helped me develop my voice and, and taught me how to sing well uh, or better. And then by the time we got to Fiends, you know, he said, all right, I want to hear you singing more on this record. And he spent a lot of time working with me on vocals and teaching me how to sing better and, and showing me the things about my voice that I did well saying and these are some of the things you don't do so well so let's maybe do less of that and he helped me develop myself as a vocalist uh, you know i can attribute a lot of that change to him as well to kind of piggyback off what adam said about kind of becoming better at your instruments and and what you're doing um musically when you're writing a song and you get stuck in a rut you kind of have a go-to you know something that you're comfortable with that's just natural uh, and I imagine the same thing with vocals. If you can't come up with a good vocal melody to go over this guitar part, then you wind up just screaming. You know, it's an easy out. But as you grow at your craft, you don't have that one go-to. You have four or five go-tos, and then you grow a little bit more for your next writing session, and then you don't have the four or five go-tos. You go seven or eight, and then it just has a flow to it that evolves because you're just better at what you're doing. But you'd never get into the situation where you would say that abandonment was better than fiends or vice versa. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, we all have our different opinions, you know, about our music. And I think even if you take this latest EP that we did, this only has four songs on it, but I would say all four songs are very different. And, um, they were all written by different people, and, the, and it shows. And each person's kind of interpretation of how they want to play something is expressed in each one of those songs, which is why they turn out a little different. I remember a review we got on Fiends that kind of struck a chord with me, but only because they said something in a, in a negative way about us, but I took it as a, as a compliment, and they said, Chase and Victory sounds like they can't figure out what they want to do with the music. And I kind of like that because I think once you figure out what you want to do, that's when you get stuck in a rut. I mean, if you just write what comes naturally and you have fun with it, and at the end of the day, everybody in the band's pretty well happy with it, then I, I consider that successful. I can see your sound on that album coming through on bands like The Ongoing Concept. I'm not familiar with The Ongoing Concept. Yeah. 
we're a couple of country bumpkins, man. So uh, <laughs> we're out of the loot when it comes to uh, new bands. I'm still listening to classic rock records today, so <laughs> we're we're all kind of out of the loop, to be honest. It's time to move out of that small, small town. <laughs> Round me up and up on all the new bands. <laughs> I was going to say it's been a long, long time since anything new came from Chasing Victory, but I suppose I should qualify that because the band did bring out one single in 2016. Why was that? Well, it's kind of funny. So we uh, we actually started talking about a reunion in the summer of 2016. We kind of made this pledge that we were going to get together and hang out, our families included, and all of us were going to get together. So we actually did that in 2016 at my house. And we just kind of were hanging out, and uh, it had nothing to do with music. But we were talking, and I had actually written a few songs some of the songs, even Kenosis, I wrote several years ago, but I just never had a, a vehicle to release it through. So I showed some of the stuff to the guys, and they really liked it. And uh, finally, we just kind of started talking about how difficult would it be for us to come back together and just maybe write music. And if, if shows come available and we can actually play them, we'll play them. Um, we began those conversations and we ended up doing uh, that song, She Haunts Me, that year um, in 2016. And we had pretty much every uh, expectation to release a record in 2017. But unfortunately, because we all live so far apart and we have families and careers, it took a lot longer to put together an album than we thought, which is why we ended up deciding to release Friends in uh, multiple volumes because we certainly weren't finished with the idea of Friends, and we don't want to you know, put the book in on this volume. And we have a lot more uh, material written, but it's just difficult for us to all get together and record. I mean, like Michael said, we're kind of all over the place, so it's, it's tough for us to get together and, and do anything. And So that's how She Haunts Me got released in 2016, and, and then it took almost you know a year and a half before we could release the record. When we tracked Friends... Uh, Jeremy tracked the drums. Adam was the only one there. They did it at Adam's house when I tracked the guitars for the EP. It was just me and Adam. Um, nobody else was there. We got lucky enough when Jason and Chris, other two guitar players, to come in and do their parts. I was available that weekend, and so I was there. It's kind of been done in pieces, but without the technology that we have, it, it could have never happened. If this would have happened, you know, in the early 2000s or late 90s, we would just be stuck with, you know, where we were between 07 and 16. And what you're describing is so typical of how the music world works nowadays. Yeah, and I, I kind of assume that that's the way a lot of people write now. I mean, with digital recording, you know, two or three pieces of small equipment and you can record on the go. But there's something pretty special about sitting around with like-minded musicians and just jamming and just seeing what comes out naturally. Um, the copy-paste method of, you know, we got this part down, let's work on the next part, it can work. But there's certainly a missed element of, of just sitting down and letting chemistry just happen and see what, you know, what is the result. And um, 
we we've talked about that quite a bit since the release of Friends and tried to come up with some solutions to uh, still participate in that chemistry and, and get together and jam these songs out. And we did a little bit. We had a few shows last year that we did. And so we had to come together and practice our old songs and, and everything for those shows. And while we were together, we jammed through some of the stuff that we were writing and recording. So we did have a, a small window, but I, I certainly miss that. It's been 11 years since Chasing Victory had a full new release. You're not teenagers anymore. You know, the gray hair is coming in. And you've got Friends Volume 1. Some of us are lucky to have any hair, man. (laughs) (laughs) I know about that issue. (laughs) Yeah, I I got zero hair. (laughs) I suppose the one thing that I really wonder is, how much has your songwriting evolved and changed since 07? I think quite a bit. I mean, when we started talking about doing this record... Um, I talked to Brad or A&R a little bit about it and just kind of asked for some pointers. And and one of the advice he gave me was, you know, do what you want to do as far as songwriting, but don't make it so different that it's unidentifiable as who you were, you know, because ultimately you want to appeal to the same people. That wasn't very difficult for us to do because we still have a strong connection to that music, to that scene, to that uh, time period of music. I think one thing that we've been able to do with these four songs and the songs that we're writing for the next volume is incorporate a much wider span of music. You know, bring in some elements of classic rock. Uh, you know, Friends had a small element of kind of surfer rock to it. Um, you know, just bring in some different elements that we weren't, we, we had no idea, you know, about when we were 18 and 19 writing our other albums. I mean, back then we were writing post-hardcore music. We were touring with metal bands and hardcore bands. So that was pretty much all we were listening to, you know, unless somebody said, hey, there's this artist you need to check out. But, you know, having so much time in between the records, we've grown, you know, in in our taste of music and what we enjoy. But also, we kind of just don't have any rules anymore. You know, we just write what we want to write. And uh, so I think it's evolved to some extent. I don't think that we ventured too far out from what, you know, our previous records were. A little earlier, you brought up the one song, Kenosis, which you included on the new EP. On that song, you pull in the line, you know all of your children, saints and the damned, we are breeding confusion calculating your plans isn't that true of all of us i mean christian and non-christian alike i certainly think so you know one thing i've thought a lot about as i get into my 30s is the world is not quite as black and white as maybe i thought it was when i was younger you know there's a lot of gray areas in life but you know when it comes to religion or you know christianity specifically which i'm familiar with we try to make a lot of axiomatic claims. There's a lot of certainty surrounding things. Um, And I think whenever you try to bring certainty into the equation of things like faith, you really just end up causing more confusion. That's my personal experience. Um, And that's kind of what that song is really about, is just wrestling with the idea of certainty and wrestling with the ideas of uh, kenosis itself, which is a, a Greek term that's used in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, it was just kind of me wrestling with the idea of certainty. And I, I, 
I'm beginning to believe that it causes more problems than it does in, in areas of faith than it does actually solve things. But that's a good thing, isn't it, to question and to seek answers? Oh, yeah. I think it's a great thing. I mean, that's, that's kind of what has led me on this journey of questioning certainty, questioning even my own faith, my own beliefs. Um, I think it's something that everybody should do. I think the quest for truth never stops in your life. It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's, I don't think truth is something you ever arrive at, but it's just something you constantly seek. So I, I think there has to be um, a certain amount of questioning the things that you maybe thought you were certain about at some point and, and putting them to the test. I've got to tell you guys that I laughed when I saw the band move from the album title Fiends to Friends Volume 1. But <laughs> this release can't simply be a nostalgia trip for the band. Does the EP itself have an intent? Sure, and I think, uh, I wish I could say there's this super profound theme within the, the songs, you know, that goes throughout the record, but it's really not a... I try to put one together, and, and something I keep coming back to is I write a lot about wrestling with ideas. So I'm not too crazy about the idea of certainty, and I, I like the wrestle. I like the, the struggle and the learning and the, the journey. Um, but something that I've realized is that the journey is it's an easier pill to swallow when you do it with other people. So when you have people around you that you trust, that you can talk to about things and um, support you, or maybe, hey, say, hey, you're getting out of left field with that, or maybe you should try to think about this or read this book or, or look into this uh, lecture or whatever, I kind of notice that those issues are much easier to solve or to find some kind of peace with those issues if you do it with someone else. You know, like if you're married, your wife or your husband, your spouse is a good person to do that with. If you have friends like, you know, me and Michael work together, so we, we talk about things all the time. And, and so there was somewhat of a, a theme throughout the record about, um, you know, dealing with your problems with friends or those who are close to you. Uh, but also it was just an easy transition from fiends. I mean, you know, the words are so close. Yeah, all you got to do is put an art in it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it, it really just had a lot to do with us coming together again. But also, like, you know, scenes, I, uh, lyrically, I, I talked about a lot of vices or issues, but I never really talked about solution. Uh, solution is kind of a, a conclusive statement, but some way to find peace in that wrestling. And I, I think Friends is a good place to start. Well, let's get into another one of the songs from that. The closing track of Friends Volume 1 is no regrets. Not regrets, regrets. <laughs> Maybe that's just how you spell it in Georgia. I don't know. But it's, its lyrics say, We could go back to start before it all fell apart. Come erase my damaged memory. I think I'd rather be a little naive. Does that mean that ignorance is bliss? I think, yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting to. So, I mean, no regrets kind of, it's kind of a very, very um, simplified synopsis of, yeah, I mean, I'm a country bumpkin, but I can use some big words occasionally. <laughs> it's kind of a simplified synopsis of a little bit of a paradigm shift that I've gone through in the last four or five years. 
again, wrestling with changes that I've made in my life, things that have changed about um, maybe my beliefs, political thoughts. You know, things have changed for me a lot as I've gotten into my 30s. And I know I think I'm an old person, but I kind of am an old soul. But as I wrestled with the idea, I often think about certain things in my life that were easier when I was a little more naive um, and maybe thought the world was a little more black and white than I believe today, certain aspects of life were easier then. So I, I kind of wrestle with that in the song. I don't mean to sound pretentious. I mean, Chasing Victory has always been very tongue-in-cheek. So I, I do talk about maybe some deeper issues, but I think at the end of the day, we all kind of laugh about them. You know, we, we all think these are deep issues, but, you know, part of having a support group is being able to joke and laugh about them. It actually brings me to another good point is the cover of the record kind of encompasses that ability to just kind of laugh something off. So the cover of the record is our bass player, and it's a picture of him when he was a kid, and there's this kind of infamous story among our band about him having these leg braces as a kid, and they kind of brought him some torment. He got picked on. You know, he was embarrassed about him to some extent, but now he can sit around and laugh about him, you know, and you can talk about your insecurities. I think that's part of, like, the healing process of, of you know, those type of things is, is being able to talk about them and laugh about them and uh, just get over them. That's why we went with that image for the album. I thought it kind of fit perfectly. I think you guys have made it pretty clear that Friends Volume 1, it's opened up the door for another release from Chasing Victory. This is meaning that more new music isn't just wishful thinking? Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly want to keep making music. We don't want to put any more timelines on it <laughs> because, like you said, we are the least dependable band. You are exactly right when you said that. Um, we're not very good at meeting timelines, and uh, we don't have any timelines for the next volume, but we are working on it diligently. We certainly have plenty of material ready to start on the next volume. It's just trying to decide which ones we want to go with and how we want the next volume to sound. We want it to you know, we want to please people and, and we do want to write something that we're proud of. And uh, seeing that we're recording it all ourselves, you know, we want to make sure we do the best job on it that we can do. So, um, you know, we're going to take our time. We're going to do it right. And uh, hopefully, you know, be released sooner than later. Michael, Adam, thanks for coming on The Antidote and best of luck with Chasing Victory. Dude, thank you for having us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Not a problem. Thank you, bud.